just give it a go just literally try there's there's nothing wrong with failing you learn from that you know sort of fail more i think welcome to a brand new episode of starts at the top now podcast about digital leadership and change i'm paul thomas and i'm zoe Ammer. On today's episode, we're sharing our conversation with Sharon Jones, Head of Digital Innovation at the King's Fund. Sharon has worked as an editor and producer in organisations such as MTV, Sky and, among others, BBC. The BBC, eh, Zoe? It's been a quite quiet weekend for them, hasn't it? But yeah, it has been a, a quite, quite good <laughs> I suppose it depends who you speak to. But obviously, uh, they have been all over the press. Uh, most of our listeners will have seen the Gary Lineker story. And in fact, we're recording on Monday the 13th. And it was announced earlier today that he's returning to the BBC after being suspended from match of the day. Uh, most people will know that was due to him tweeting, criticising the language used by ministers when discussing the government's asylum policy. So you and I are both uh, big advocates for use of social media by leaders in and around organisations. So, Paul, what did you think of this story? Um, oh, I just, just can't believe we're still talking about uh this you know all these years later i was just sort of going through a few books earlier on and looking at the clue train manifesto came out in 2000 so that's 23 years ago uh a book we know and love you know you and semples organizations don't tweet people do came out in 2012 so we're we're quite far down the line and yet we're still having this conversation about guidelines and uh what people can and can't say within and without organizations and 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 things so it was a little bit depressing to find ourselves back here but but um a a massive a massive story you know and a real sort of um sense of the bbc struggling obviously with um its decision making and the way it manages its um its its own policies against you know one of their their biggest stars in, in in gary lineker who you know, it's not unusual behaviour for him to talk out on subjects that he's passionate about. He does it all the time. Um, and I think I'm right in saying that he's had some sort of shots fired across the bow in in in, in past times where he's he said something that um, has been close to the bone. But this time, um, because of government pressure, allegedly, it seems that he's been forced uh, out of his out of his role. Um uh hosting match of the day which obviously you know other listeners to this podcast will realize is a is a thing that's quite close and dear to my heart as a football fan who uh, was faced with about 35 minutes in total of football highlights with no commentators no um uh no no commentators no pundits no presenters um which was completely counter to the experience because guess what match of the day is delivered by a team and the team lost its captain and they weren't happy about it. Exactly. It makes you think how this kind of content is so much driven by personalities as indeed a, a lot of other content is. But I think this story is also a bit of a reminder to organisations that they need to think about what is workable and proportionate and realistic to put in their social media guidelines. Because if you take the wrong tone or you try to be a bit too all-encompassing or the guidelines are very widely drafted and then people push back against it quite reasonably then your guidelines won't have credibility yeah 
No, I think you're right. And I think um, what we've we've heard today is that, uh, you know, Gary Lineker is reinstated whilst they uh, review the, the the guidelines. Be interested to know who's going to go in and do that re- review of their social media guidelines. Um, until then, he's going to apparently toe the line. But he was straight onto Twitter again um, to sort of reiterate his position, saying that, um, you know, although it's been a hard couple of days, it's nothing compared to the hardships faced by people seeking asylum on these shores. So, yeah, he's 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 maybe not going to be critical of the policy itself, but he's certainly going to carry on with um, uh, with giving his opinion. And I think it is tough with organisations. I was just thinking about the, the first social media policy I wrote and I was asked to sort of include a, a clause around political opinions and political views. Um, and I think that was that was probably okay when we were, first wrote the guidelines, probably back in 2010, 2012. It was probably just about okay. But we had to review those on a regular basis. And I don't think it's good enough to review them every couple of years with the speed that social media moves at. And we had to sort of address that because we were finding that people that were in positions of leadership within the organisation I worked for were still talking about political opinions. And it's really hard to to stop them from from doing that. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be an interesting few weeks for the BBC as they sort of navigate this and, and hopefully they can come out with something that's a bit more tailored to the type of people that they have working for them as an organisation. Absolutely. I mean, there's a big question, isn't there? In fact, two big questions. There's one about where does social social justice end and politics begin? Because one of the things I think we both saw in the BBC social media guidelines is that they're trying to guide people towards not getting involved in campaigns. In fact, I think there's even a line in those guidelines saying they get involved in virtue signaling. I mean, what does that even yeah. mean? Does that mean you can't talk about lives matter which is obviously a hugely important thing um and then also i think that speaks to how the nature of power has shifted between organization and employee which has been a big theme of what we've talked about on this podcast and if you put things into your social media guidelines that are not reasonable to ask for because after all as we both know gary lineker is a football pundit rather than a news journalist then it's more likely that people will ignore them, flout them, push against them, however you want to look at it. And that means that the, those guidelines don't have value value for certain people. So I think it's it's really important to bear that in mind. What's going to work? What's going to be proportionate? Yeah, and I think um, the other thing we have, this podcast is, you know, we say it's about digital leadership and, and change and we we sort of abused at the beginning of this season actually we talked about how that might have shifted for us it's more about leadership than anything else and you start to look at well who's shown real leadership in this whole story um and as i said you know <laughs> gary lineker it was his team it was the people he works with that, that immediately jumped in behind him and, and supported him through this so as a as a sort of a strong leader leadership figure uh, there were also calls across social media for him to run for absolutely everything from prime minister to uh, uh to, to to god knows what else i mean it's it's um it's 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 gary lineker and and um uh a, a strong display of leadership from him that the bbc could could do very well to learn from Exactly. I, th- I think that's the whole point, isn't it? That he's he's really acted in line with his values. 
And mm. any organisation who is now frantically scrambling to review their social media guidelines, I think what you have to scenario plan for is that if you do have to put some quite strict stuff in there about people can and can't say, you have to be prepared for a situation where an individual or perhaps a group of people will push back and they'll say, no, we're not doing that because it's important we speak out on that. And and had the BBC not climbed down, this could have led to some kind of strike action, couldn't it? And could we see the equivalent Mm. of that happening in an organisation? People do resign from things in in principle or refuse to do things in, in principle. And that is equally political to social media as well, isn't it? Yeah, it totally, totally. Um, the other thing that it brought to light was um, I w- was most amused by the um, the term being coined emergency podcast because I think you shared the link <laughs> to the podcast that the um, uh, the team, it was Alistair Campbell, wasn't it, um, uh, put an emergency podcast together the rest of politics, the rest is politics podcast emergency episode, uh, Gary Lineker, BBC in crisis and small boats, um, which is uh, funny again, because um, as we both discussed, the rest is politics is actually published through Goldhanger is production company, which again, you know, just undermines how very silly this uh, all got over the weekend. Mm, well, is, is this an emergency podcast, Paul? We need um, a nice audio <laughs> clip of, a, of an ambulance rushing by. Well, it did make me laugh about the word emergency in front of words that just aren't emergencies at all. So I think the whole thing just made me want to go for an emergency lie down um, because it was all a bit um, all a bit much. But no, I'm pleased that, as a, again, as a football fan, I am pleased that I won't have to um, sit through uh, commentary-less uh, football highlights again next weekend. Um, I think all eyes and ears will be very much on that opening line from Gary Lineker when he rocks up on Match of the Day on Saturday night. Um, he's usually very, very, very good at those um, those first one-liners when he introduces his programme. So I'm looking forward to what he's going to say next week. I'm sure it won't be ignored. But whatever he says, he'll be delivering it with a twinkle in his eye and a beautifully ironed shirt <laughs> yes for listeners i did we did have exchange of messages over the weekend where i said well i don't really watch the match of the day for the presenters but i watch it for the football um and so he replied i watch it for the fashion which um you know with with uh some of uh some of michael richard's um outfits that he wears on match of the day and on the tv i i'm i'm in full agreement with there is a fashion show on match of the day and on football tv every weekend anyway uh now for our interview with sharon jones of the king's fund we are very excited to welcome sharon jones to the podcast today Sharon's varied and impactful career has encompassed the public, private and not-for-profit sectors. With TV production in her sights, her career began at MTV, where she developed an eye for storytelling, leading to a stint in children's TV, working for a production who were commissioned by the BBC. Following this, she spent the next few years using her keen journalistic skills as senior editor and producer for a range of websites, including AOL. From there, her digital knowledge led to working in digital production for BBC Radio One and Sky TV Guide, where she interviewed the great and the good, but also worked across the Sky Arts and Sky Atlantic websites. 
Realising the vast set of skills she'd gathered in the commercial sector could greatly benefit the non-profit sector, she followed her heart and became Head of Digital for the UK's largest children's reading charity, Book Trust. There, she transformed their digital presence, relaunching their website, content and social media strategies, developing and executing their biggest campaigns, all while training and upskilling staff. She currently works for the health and care think tank, The King's Fund, as their Head of Digital Innovation, where she is leading on the fund's digital vision by moving the organisation forward with audiences and with digital at its heart. Sharon, welcome to Starts of the Talk. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We are so happy to have you here today. And we are especially interested to hear about your journey because going through your bio, you've done so many interesting things working with everyone from AOL to BBC to, to Sky. Can you take us through that journey and, and, and how it develops? Yeah, sure, absolutely. It's definitely um it's definitely varied. And obviously I've crossed over a lot of different sectors, but I think what for me has been the real kind of core of them all have been audiences. And they've all been really focused on their audience and really passionate about serving the people that they're trying to reach and trying to find new audiences. And I think mixed into that with like journalism and storytelling, I've just found a kind of thread that's gone through all of those different roles, even though they sound really, really different. They've always I've always been drawn to like this creative element, but equally, you know, it's got a, a purpose in terms of trying to serve an audience. So that to me has been like the biggest kind of thread although it seems very kind of here there and everywhere um yeah that's kind of been the biggest thing that's really interesting and, and do you feel that journalism experience has been quite helpful for where you are now in terms of digital definitely I think even in the role that I'm in now when you want to piece together you know a strategy or something really tangible like an animation or a podcast they all still need a, a story to tell internally and externally to an audience and I think having that kind of writing background has really stood me in good stead for all the jobs that I've done obviously there's an element of writing in all of them whether you're writing a kind of paper or you're writing a script or you're you know writing some kind of blurb there's always an element of that which I always enjoy um but it's just kind of using digital now and using the storytelling techniques around digital that have really enhanced all of those roles and have been all the way through every single pretty much every single job I've done apart from the early days where I wasn't fully working in digital and I was working in tv however working in tv it's still all about storytelling it's still about taking the audience the, you know the, the person who's watching on a journey it's just in a different way from digital and all of those many and varied experiences are there some of them which have really informed the way that you lead now? Yeah, I think one of them that really stands out um, was working at Radio One. Um, and the reason that was is because it's a real period of my life. I was quite young. I didn't have children. So, you know, you could really throw yourself into it. But the reason that one stands out is the leadership. I've never kind of seen people who led in the way that they did there. And one person in particular, she was really inspiring. Um, she was a woman, she was a black woman, she was really senior exec. And, but she was kind of humble. She knew her stuff. So, you know, she had authority. And this mixture of that in, in one person 
was really, really inspiring. You know, she made good decisions, but she was also just human. She just, you know, she made mistakes. She wasn't kind of, you know, so up on this pedestal that you couldn't reach her. She was really approachable and she was really accessible. And when you're in sort of a junior member of staff and you want to speak to somebody like that, you could, you know, they could be really scary when they're like at the top of the tree, so to speak. Um, But she wasn't. And I found like her leadership and some of the other members at the top there really inspiring and actually just sort of really down to earth in a way that I wouldn't have expected when I'd sort of joined such a kind of well-known, you know, organisation. It's really exciting. It sounds like that woman, the experience of working with her really stayed with you. Definitely. And I think it's something like in the back of my mind, I always sort of refer back to her in some way, maybe not kind of explicitly, but thinking, oh, yeah, what was it about her that made her such a good leader? Um, You know, she's not the only person I've encountered in my career who really inspired me. There's other people as well. She stands out. But there's other people like when I worked at Book Trust, I had a really supportive boss. um, And she also kind of stood out in in a completely different way, in a more... uh, in a way about having good ideas and executing those ideas and not being kind of your kind of stiff charity boss you know she just has a sparkle about her I think that's more like personality rather than necessarily leadership but it's good to see somebody in that role who could just be themselves and that's something that stood out for me as well. It's funny isn't it when you think back over different you know managers and leaders that you've experienced over your career and whether you got on with them or not, there's usually something that you can take away. There's the you know, infinite times that I start to quote old um, lion managers, regardless kind of how I felt about them. And one in particular, I won't, you know, I won't name name names, but day to day could be a real pain in the backside. But some of the things that they shared with us, or some of the ideas, I still use today. Um, yeah. And I, I, I can't tell you any of them because people might be listening and. And say, oh, I know who that was. But you know, they're, they're, it's just those little snippets, those little tidbits of, um, of of stuff that you take forwards with you. And um, yeah, that certainly, certainly in my lifetime, um, in my in my work lifetime, there have been things that stood stood out. Uh, one boss in particular who um, has just um, just changed careers to become a stand up comedian, which is um, pretty unbelievable stuff. Oh, completely amazing completely amazing I need to go and have coffee with her find out where that's where that's headed wow that's quite a career change quite inspiring in another way isn't it it's just like giving it a go having the courage to try something completely new I think that's always um something to admire as a quality in leaders and not to be kind of scared to make mistakes to to have a, a vulnerability to just show that human side and I find I'm drawn to leaders who are like that rather than the sort of command and control type leaders, which, you know, it seems quite obvious, really. But, yeah, you, you remember your good ones and you remember the ones that aren't so good. And even from those people I've had in the past, you always learn, like, that's how not to do leadership or that's not how I want to do it. Incredibly formative relationship, isn't it? Because you spend so much time with your boss, even in this age of remote working, hybrid working, and they're going to influence you in in some way, whether for better or for worse. And their actions are going to stay with you, aren't they? Because they impact you so directly. Absolutely, and and their but you know their actions and their behaviours and what they say and and how they present themselves. Not necessarily you know the clothes they wear, but just the kind of that outward facing um, facet of themselves is really key and I think that has really helped me it doesn't mean I don't have my own style 
it just means it's kind of made me think, yeah, what's been good about that person that I think would lend itself well in the roles that I've had? And, you know, it's taken me into spaces that I think, yeah, it's worked. Exciting. So I guess big thing that's come out of um, your, your career so far feels like it's about a- a- adaptability as well as having those values and those kind of golden threads of various interests that run through everything. And how has that led you to where you are now? I think I've always kind of got to the point where I think if I've done something to the point that I'm not learning or I I feel like I need to try and change, I'll take that leap. And that's probably why my you know, career looks quite, you know, I've done lots of different things. Um, and it's about courage. And I'm always trying to push myself more to do things that take me out of my comfort zone or something I haven't tried before. And some of these roles have lent themselves to that. So I think that I, in terms of where I am now, you know, I don't have a health and care background, but I have a really strong digital background. And I'm keen on giving people what they want in terms of digital experiences. And that's why it can cross many sectors, because it's not about necessarily having that specialist health and care knowledge or knowledge about children's literature or, or knowledge about you know entertainment. It's about giving people what they want the way they want it um you know in a timely fashion and in the spaces that they inhabit rather than forcing it on them and hoping that they'll take up take it up i think there's this podcast is nothing but um about how how digital crosses over uh sectors and disciplines and all sorts of different things um and i think that's really true isn't it we we can find ourselves quite pigeonholed in 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 spaces you know for for example it's no um no coincidence that two of my clients are accountancy firms where I worked for 10 years within an accountancy firm and I try to sort of go off and work with other organizations working with a health charity at the moment and other other places where you can apply the same level of thinking but to a completely and a completely different discipline so that that um, variety has always been important to uh, to me definitely all is the fun side of accounting just to reassure you Sharon (laughs) (laughs) yeah the um there was this um there was this uh um line wasn't there I can't remember I need to find out where this this came from but there was I think it was an article and I think it was a Forbes article we'll have to go away and check it but I think it was it was headlined um why accountants will change the world or why accountants will save the world I think it actually was um I still haven't got to the bottom of exactly why um, but they are, you know, quite important. Um, my accountant in particular is, is, is fairly important. And, um, you know, I, I live by what they say. I definitely underestimated. I think, you know, they're, they're creative in a different way. They probably get a bit pigeonholed, but we definitely not need too them. Creative. <laughs> oh, no, not that, kind of, not that kind of creative. But, um, yeah, you you know, that's what underpins the vision of what we want to try and do. We need to have the funds to do that. So you need an accountant who kind of understands what you're trying to achieve and also finds the money for it. Exactly. So bringing it back to the present day and and the King's Fund, we'd love to hear a bit about some of the digital challenges and opportunities you're currently facing. Yeah, absolutely. So my role there is as digital innovation, sorry, head of digital innovation. and. Um, I think the challenges are how we're going to make the most impact in the health and care sector, which is just a huge challenge because of, you know, the current state of 
the NHS, it's very challenging, the external environment, but also it's about having the digital capability and making sure staff feel confident in what they're doing and also producing products that really help in you know, and services that help our wider audience. So that in a way, they're both challenges and opportunities. You know, the opportunities are kind of endless. You know, um, the health and care sector is vast. There's so much good work being done and there's so much good work to be done. But equally, you know, at the King's Fund itself, we're a small organisation and it's about having a sort of parameters around our vision and making that happen and looking at what we really need in terms of digital capability to, you know, realise those uh, those dreams, essentially. And you and I have talked about skills quite a lot mm-hmm. and what you're doing about digital skills. Can you tell people a bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, you know, sort of came out from your um, your paper, your report for last year, the Charity Digital Skills Report, you know, how people, there's still quite a fear around digital. And I think it's about like democratising it, making it accessible to people. Now, we're coming through the pandemic. And, you know, we're all working from home and, you know, hybrid working, but there's still work to be done. And it's about making it accessible for people, making digital, you know, something that people can get on board with. It's not this scary thing that's being done to them. It's how they can help be part of the narrative of moving to a more digitally enabled culture and not feel fearful about it and be on board because, of you know, the possibilities are endless. So in terms of skills, where we are now is like, do we, you know, do we upskill staff? Do we bring on staff who've already got a level of capability? You know, there's an element of if we want to be digitally enabled, do we just bring on every person that we bring on in all the various departments? They've all got a certain level. Or are we going to invest and make sure that we bring everybody up to a particular level in order to, you know, achieve our sort of strategic goals? So it's a bit of a challenge. And, you know, I really agree with like partnership working and, and looking at what other organisations are doing. How have they done it well? Um, you know knowledge share and to sort of get the best of what is out there but in a way that we can you know tangibly do it at the King's Fund. What what are some of the specifics that you're finding teams within King's Fund are asking for from you as a a, as a digital expert within the organisation? Yeah I think I think there's a one of the things of the around collaborative tools we use quite a few collaborative tools and it's about sort of streamlining them, knowing what are the most effective tools that work for everybody. Because in certain departments, you might have the digital team, you know, they're using various things. I don't know if I'm allowed to mention them, but, you know, things like Trello and and the various platforms that they use. But that's not rolled out across the whole organisation. So is that something that we want to take up so that other departments can work using those kind of tools? Or is that something that, you know, is only for those teams that, work in that way I think that's one of the things that we're trying to well I'm trying to kind of look at in the broader sense go right what is it we're trying to do what are these tools for how can we use them in the most effective way without excluding teams or individuals so that we benefit from it all that's what I'd say and why do you think there's that fear factor around digital skills still I mean there might be stuff around you know embarrassment you might be embarrassed that you don't have a particular skill set within digital or you might feel like you don't want to you're quite happy doing what you want to, you know working in the way that you've always worked it's never caused any trouble and you want to continue working in that way you know it's a bit of that this is how we work and this is how we're always going to work kind of mindset 
and that I find that it's about trying to bring that transformational change internally to, to show people what the benefits are in moving forward using digital and that way we can really you know get ahead in in the field that we're in. I think some of the, one of the, the, the sort of the biggest challenges I'm seeing particularly with the healthcare organisation I'm working with is still that sense and it's, it goes back to this goes back to accountancy you know the, the number one fear from accountants was that they would use some of these tools if they were internal or external so we're talking about social media or sharing something internally that they'd say something wrong that they'd get something mm-hmm. wrong that they'd say something out of turn or they would get yeah they would they would post something that they they, they couldn't stand behind and now sort of 10 15 years later what we're seeing is still that sense maybe not externally I think people are getting a bit more used to, to how these social channels work still get tripped up by them quite often if we're honest but um, internally is that mm, slight fear of putting their head above the parapet about standing out and saying something and sometimes it's the very reason why these tools don't get adopted in a, in a, in a way so things like Yammer things like yeah. Teams are, Teams is is is, is fairly people are adapting to it quite well because um, it's a small group of people usually around a specific subject but then take that out onto something like Yammer or something where they're sharing with a, the wider organization and there is that fear of putting their head above the parapet. And I think that probably you know even you know broadening that out further is around the culture you know if there's a culture where it's maybe around perfectionism or maybe sort of high excellence then people might feel even more fearful in terms of, you know, putting their neck on the line and trying something new. And if you want to have like an experimental culture, you've got to have a culture that is allowed to fail and you're allowed to make mistakes and trip up and try again. And there might be something playing into that, that kind of world. Because I guess accountants, you know, they're very precise, can't really mess up with the numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like that could be probably part of that, that wider culture. So it's almost a cultural thing in allowing people to go, look, I feel vulnerable enough to say, look, I don't know how to use this. I feel a bit embarrassed. I'm not really sure. Do I even need it? What have I got to say? And and sort of educating them, but equally giving them the confidence to to just give it a go. Because ultimately, we're you know we're all just here trying, winging it, and not necessarily knowing absolutely. You know, you can't know everything. And I think it's encouraging uh, teams to to try things, and that will kind of help embed new practices. And encouraging leaders to play in that space as well. I Absolutely. Guess. Yeah, definitely with leaders because, you know, people are watching you and, you know, you want to kind of set an example. Then, you know, you're modelling, aren't you? And so equally, you've got to kind of be brave yourself, but also be kind of humble enough to say, look, I might just trip up myself. But, you know, whoops, it's OK. It's OK to make mistakes. It's OK to fail. I think if you give that message out, that gives a more open, experimental, creative environment for teams to to give things a try. Where do you think organisations should be setting the bar at the moment? I mean, obviously it's going to be different because everyone's at different stages of digital maturity, but do you think we should be aiming higher with this stuff now? I think high, I mean, it depends what high looks like. You know, aiming high is great, but if you're already nervous about, you know, putting a post out on social media, then maybe that's just too much. I think it's like almost baby steps, but equally saying, you know, we need to move at pace as well. Otherwise, we're going to be left behind, you know, and you won't be relevant. It's finding that balance. I think that that needs to be set, you know, across the organisation. It doesn't always have to come from 
top. I think there's a, a bit of a myth about everything has to be set from up high, actually. There's lots going on in other parts of the organisation that might be doing some really interesting things that you might not know about. It's about kind of, like I say, democratising digital, making it accessible and, and collectively thinking, well, where do we need to get to and, and how do we get there? And really owning that as an organisation. Absolutely. And being accountable. You know, I think sometimes it's a, it's easy to kind of blame or, you know, sort of point fingers. I think actually just sort of owning it is the, yeah, it's the best way of uh, describing that and just and just trying, like literally just try. And not being afraid to do that either. Yeah, yeah to, to echo yeah. the theme that we were talking about earlier. Sorry, go on. No, absolutely. Yeah, just, you know, like literally just, you know, step out, you know, a millimetre out of your comfort zone and then, you know, go a bit further again and go a bit further again. And that is sort of building that momentum of just giving it a go and, and have a look outside, you know, look out, look up. What are other people doing? Where are they doing it well? Um, and, and just sort of, you know, have conversations. I don't think there's a kind of, textbook answer and this is the way you know chapter one paragraph two that's how you're going to get there I think sort of feel your way and sort of be iterative about it I love that feeling your your way with it there's an element of intuition isn't there as much as the the measuring and the planning absolutely tracking yeah get out of your head a bit more into your heart I guess just try it especially as I work at a think tank we we, you know we think a lot it's like Hmm try to sort of translate that into into more doing and tangible outputs Mm, yeah it's making that transition from that um cerebral side I suppose of what you do which is obviously one of the the king's fun strengths isn't it absolutely absolutely it's an amazing minds there and you know that's not to be kind of um dismissed in any way it's just sort of harnessing that thinking into you know reaching even wider audiences that's the key so speaking of, of progress, uh, we've talked a few times, Ellie, you and I, about inclusion and yeah. as, as women of colour, how we want to see that change across the sector. What's your take on where the sector's at? I think the sector still has a way to go, um, like a lot of sectors, to be absolutely honest. And I think that's one of the kind of positions of privilege that I have in that I can sort of show young uh, women of colour or people of colour that you know you can go up the ranks a bit it doesn't have to be um, it's not impossible it's not easy but it's not impossible either and I think with the charity sector there is still work to be done you know I've worked in organisations where I'm one of the few faces of colour and it's just you just think wow how can we be actually how can we serve our audiences if we're so um, mono I just can't see how it's possible if everybody's come from a particular background or they're a particular type whatever that type is by the way it could just be you know it could be women you know um how how can we genuinely say we are reaching all these different people impactfully if you don't have that diversity in your own workforce and I feel really strongly about that and I think you know you have to look at what what are the barriers what where do they begin and to be really honest and open about that in your organization um, again, is showing that vulnerability to sort of unpick what is actually happening and try to find a way forward and, and to, you know, employ more diverse um, people. And what does that even what does that even look like in reality? Well, enough momentum around this issue. As a sector, I think it's definitely building, definitely. I think 
you know you have to keep going it's never it's never over there's never like an end point you have to keep chipping away at it um and I think at the moment I think there is quite a lot of momentum actually I'd be honest to say there was but it's easy to let it slide and just to kind of like oh yeah that was that thing you know we're moving on but I feel like now is a really great opportunity to like harness that energy that is there and to sort of amplify it so that you know you do get different faces in all these spaces basically it's so essential isn't it especially for all these massive challenges that we're all facing at the moment absolutely and you know from big organizations to small organizations you know we can all do our part I don't think there's any excuses to not have that as like one of your key priorities in your strategic you know you know whatever your strategy looks like that should be definitely in there because how else can we actually reach the type of person you're reaching if you're kind of ex- if you're excluding you know essentially you say it's exactly that isn't it that you know you have to look at the audience you're trying to reach and then reflect mm. that within the organization uh, absolutely yeah 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 definitely and, and to make it easy for organizations to you know make it easy for people to join your organization like some of the um you know you you know you come across some really challenging like recruitment platforms where you think well you're not going to get a diverse workforce if you have got a really hard platform to navigate you know loads of forms to fill in or you know you have to write a set thing that's just going to turn off people who are neurodiverse people who English might be their second language you know there's so many entry points and I think it just starts even at that level when you you know you put out a job that you want people to apply for and they're going to apply for it if it's really hard straight away you've just excluded a whole bunch of talent and I think it starts you know even at that level completely agree with that um it really starts at those very early stages Mm. doesn't it and then speaking of looking to the future what's on your digital radar for 2023 Sharon well part of my role is to be sort of putting together the vision with my colleagues so we'll you know I can't go into like top top detail but I think about working in agile fashion and which doesn't seem very kind of um groundbreaking but I think there's something in there about teams coming together really collaborating and you know putting your sort of best minds in terms of different types of people again it's that diverse and inclusive kind of narrative um, and getting um digital products and experiences and services out to your audiences with all of those elements in mind and I think that's a really really key so for King's Fund you know that's really important to us we want to reach different audiences you know health and care sector is vast it's also very um, challenging at the moment for the workforce who are involved in um, health and care so what can we do to support leaders and support you know the workforce um, in terms of the things that they need. So yeah, again, it's sort of deep diving into audiences. What do they want? What do they need? And for us to kind of deliver that. So, the, so bringing people back to that focus on users, isn't it? Absolutely. It's always, I always think it's always about people. Any kind of transformation always starts with people, more so than the tech. You know, that comes later. But it's always, you've got to get the buy-in. You've got to, you know, really bring people on the journey. And you can't do that and you can't deliver it without staff. So you need people. It always starts there, in my mind. That word um, confidence is always there, isn't it? I think it's certainly in, in most of the work that I do, we you know, you start with the word confidence um, because you need confident leaders to, to show the way. You need confident staff to be able to, to use the, the, the tools. And, and then that breeds confidence in 
the audiences that you're you're trying to talk to um so yeah that that's always where where we start you're right you know we we might call this podcast starts at the top but it doesn't always start at the top i think it starts with confidence sometimes and that can come from anywhere absolutely and i always think you know again like ideas can come from absolutely anywhere and and they should you know it shouldn't just be a particular department or team has to have the pressure of coming up with the next idea I think it's about you know ideas can come from across an organization be harnessed the skills that they might need to bring that idea to life might have to come from a particular team however the sort of initial thinking can be you know from anywhere and I think that's one thing when I worked at Radio One that really stuck with me is that you know ideas could come from anywhere you know although you have producers and presenters if you had a germ of an idea, you know, every year they used to do a kind of like documentary idea. Anybody could come up with a documentary and it didn't matter if you were a work experience person um, or if you worked with you know, the receptionist or, you know, you worked in HR, you could come up with that idea. And if that idea was chosen, it would be taken forward. You'd be teamed up with the producers and the presenters and that idea would be brought to life. And I think it's about that. It's collaborative, you know, being collaborative, being open you know, not saying that you are the only expert and you're the only person who can do this thing, but equally, um, you know, sort of doing it for the greater good. Like, why are you doing this? You know, it's always equally the why as well. It's, it's, it's crucial as well as having the people to bring it to life. Love that idea. I would really love to hear more charities doing that, actually. Definitely. I mean, I want to kind of you know, introduce that in the King's Fund where it doesn't have to be a particular team you know yes it's great if it comes from sort of the usual creative kind of um departments but it doesn't have to be you know and I think it's about just even making that change and kind of shake things up um and and bring an openness to an organization which makes people feel like they can you know be themselves they can you know bring themselves to work because they think well I'm not going to be sort of shouted down because I'm in operations and I've come up with an idea that could be a campaign like why should that be the case 100% really democratises that yeah. innovation process, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. We're all, we're all responsible. We're all, you know, we all work in our workplaces for a reason. We've all joined that organisation for a reason. So it's kind of our duty to kind of help take it forward, to serve the people who need us most. And can we finish by you telling us one thing that you wish you had learned earlier in your career? Oh, I think it's just um, to give it a go. Like if I was, you know, when you're sort of starting out, you, you know, you can be a bit cautious, can't you? You just think you've got to go a bit of a straight line. And I'm kind of glad those days are over. Um, But I think if I had just taken a bit more leap of faith here and there. um, Yeah, that's definitely just give it a go. Just literally try. There's there's nothing wrong with failing. You learn from that, you know, sort of fail more. I think just give it a try. Definitely. I'm more like that now. Way more like that now. But I think. When you're first starting out, you're you're too scared because you don't know. I think if you've got that kind of confidence, that kind of grows with you know doing more jobs. But I think doing it, trying it, and giving it a whirl, there's no harm in that at all. Amazing! What a great note to end on, Sharon. Thank you. Focusing on confidence and being brave and just trying things out. Yeah, Thank absolutely. You. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. It's been brilliant. Thank you. Yeah, great sentiment to end on. Thank you. Thank you so much to Sharon for her time and sharing her wonderful insights. So this was the last episode in this current run, but we're already planning and plotting our next season. 
So if you have any ideas, I know we've been out on social media and Zoe, you've already got a couple of people lined up for next season. Um, it would be great if you could share any ideas with us about the type of people you'd like to hear from. Um, should we go after Gary Lineker, Zoe? He might be quite busy at the moment, Paul. If it stayed off match of the day, then he'd have a bit more spare time. But no, maybe we'll have to wait <laughs> for the season off to the next one. Yeah, we might have to. So in the meantime, we you can find us on Twitter where it starts at the top one and you can also email us at starts at the top at gmail.com and if you listen to us on apple Podcasts or anywhere else you get your podcasts you can rate and review please do it helps more people find out about our podcast and we'll speak to you again next season we'll speak to you very soon thank you bye bye